But we get to this point in Hebrews. The, the author of Hebrews, man, he goes machine gun style about how Jesus is superior to religion. And man, as far as you think about religion, who better than the high priest? Right? Here's the guy. And he shows how Jesus is superior in every single way. So, so uh, let's, let's just get to it because it's just one thing after another. He just machine guns it down for us to find out Jesus, we can trust him. And he begins with this. We're going to turn into our Bibles here. Um, we're going through several chapters, and uh, 5, 6, and 7 really is, is where we're at. And it starts off with 5.1. He says, every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God, and he presents their gifts to God and other sacrifices for their sins. That's kind of what the high priest does. He says, and he is able to deal gently with ignorant, uh, with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weakness. And that's a great qualification of a high priest. And he says that is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as others. But he goes on to say this, if it would come up. There we go. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as others. The high priest, he was human. And he sinned just like we did. And so he didn't sit on some higher throne looking down on other people judgmentally saying, uh, you are a, you're a sinner and I'm not. And so when people came and said, hey, I sinned, he wouldn't be like, oh, you dirty people. I can't understand you. Why do you keep doing this, right? He was a sinner. But the problem was he also had to offer sins for, his, for himself as well, others, as well as others. His, uh, his able to identify with other people also uh, came at the cost of his own personal righteousness. And that's a problem. But we have Jesus who is a little different. And it says this about Jesus. So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Now get that, he did not sin. Jesus is able to understand us because he suffered everything that we did. But he didn't, he didn't sacrifice his righteousness. He didn't compromise. We have a high priest who who can be, he understands us. So when we go to God and we're like, man, Lord, I'm afraid. He's like, yeah, I know what fear feels like. I'm anxious. I know. I'm hungry. I don't know. I'm going to pay the bills. Jesus is like, yeah, I was homeless for three years. Get it. A God who understands our weaknesses. A God who has faced temptation. But he didn't sin. And then it says about that, we, we go and we see our, has such a strange tradition. It says, so let us come boldly, it says, into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And so we, we have two high priests, both of whom have this great qualification. They both understand us, but only one of us can lead us boldly into the throne room of God. The high priest went in trembling with blood for his own sins first. Jesus leads us in to the throne room of God with boldness. There's a difference. And we look and we, the first thing that, that if you have on your thing, this is kind of small because there's a lot of points that he makes here, but the first thing that the author of Hebrews shows us about the high priest is there's a qualification that they have. They have to understand our weakness. 
And HP stands for high priest, by the way. The high priest understands our weakness, but he gets a little X because he understands our weakness at the cost of his own righteousness. Jesus gets a big X because, well, guess what? Jesus also understands our weaknesses, but he did it without sacrificing righteousness. It's a better understanding. I think it's, it's fascinating. Well, there's another qualification he talks about the high priest and that he does. And uh, the first we see here is that uh, a high priest was appointed to his role. He says this, and no one can become high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for the work just as Aaron was. And he talks about how that happened. Uh, see, it's, you couldn't just, if you were in a Jewish family, you wouldn't just grow up and say, I'm going to be high priest someday. If you weren't, in the direct lineage of the first high priest, Aaron, you were not going to be high priest. In fact, you had to be in that right lineage. You had to have the call. There were a lot of descendants of Aaron. You had to have the right call. You had to be appointed. And you had to fit the requirements of the law, which was an important thing. And we recognize that Jesus didn't fit the requirements of that law because Jesus wasn't of the tribe of Levi. Uh, He was from Judah. And so we see that the high priest had to be appointed to his role. But Jesus had a different kind of calling. See, he wasn't appointed to his position because of the law. It says here, it says, Jesus was chosen by God who said, You are my son, today I become your father. And another passage he said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is a funny name, but a powerful guy. And really going to talk about why the order of Melchizedek is so important. So Jesus didn't fit the role of being a Levitical priest, but God made him a priest in a better order, a much better order. And there was this guy named Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek, if you go back and and you read uh, in Genesis uh, the story of of Abraham, you're going to find this guy named Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem, which later became Jerusalem. But at the time, it was still uh, there, there were no Jew and Gentile at that time because Abraham was the, the first, right? First Jew. So, of course, it was a Gentile city. But there was this king there, and, and Salem means peace. And so you have this king of peace who was there who was also called a priest of God. So he was a king and a priest. And Abraham goes and he defeats these five kings who, who took his cousin, or his nephew Lot, captive and who took Sodom and all those kind of things. And, and he goes and with his army, because Abraham was awesome, and he went out and he beat those kings, and he came back with all of their plunder. And the kings said, um, you keep whatever you want. And Abraham said, I'm not going to keep your filthy, dirty money, but the men who fought, they're going to keep some of the plunder for themselves because they earned it. And uh, we're going to keep a little bit to give to God. And what did he do with that money that he was going to give to God? Well, he brought it to Salem. And he met this priest named Melchizedek, and he gave him a tithe of, of all the plunder. And he praised God, and he worshipped God there. And so we see that Jesus was also appointed to a priesthood, but it wasn't just an appointment by law. It says there in the scripture that God called him and said, you are a priest forever in this order. And he didn't just say, this is the requirements like he does for the sons of Aaron. Like if you read in, in Levitical law, there are rules as to who could be high priest. And as long as you fit those rules, you're high priest. But Jesus was picked out by God individually. You are a priest forever. And so was there an appointment to serve? Yes. But the high priest, as we see here, they got an appointment that came through law. Jesus got an appointment that came from God's own directive will. You are priest. 
And so we have two priests that we can serve, appointed by, by God. Two priests that are authorized to, to minister on our behalf. But we see between the two, I think I would pick the one who is actually appointed by God, called out in Scripture beforehand, you. And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of the, the similarities begin to start change here. Now, he talks about how Melchizedek uh, received a tithe from Abraham, his ancestral father. And, uh, and this isn't a big deal. Because you have Abraham there, and you have Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is the one who receives the tithe. Abraham gives the tithe. And his argument is this. Who is greater, the one who receives the tithe or the one who gives it? And, he's, and he points out to this something that Abraham served Melchizedek. And who was Abraham's children? Well, the Jews, Right? And eventually, hundreds of years later, you have the tribes of Israel that are born, right, who, who ex- um, come and they exist. And then um, they have these Levitical laws and all these things. And it was the tribe of uh, Levi who becomes a high priest. So Levi was represented by Abraham. If you think of Abraham and now years later, you have Levi in the Levitical code. When Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek, who also gives a tithe to Melchizedek? Levi. Because... The one that was greater, Abraham, <laughs> gave a tithe to Melchizedek. That's the argument. Now, it makes a whole lot more sense, I suppose, if you're Jewish, right? But the idea is this, which came first is greater. Which then. And we have that Abraham was, was served Melchizedek. And it says that Melchizedek uh, placed a blessing upon Abraham. And so Abraham came in, Melchizedek took, took a, a blessing, and it says, and the one who had already received the promise of God without question... The person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. And so we see in this that, that Abraham, one tithes, but also receives a blessing from Melchizedek. And so we say, which one is superior to Abraham? Is Levi superior to Abraham? No. The high priests are not superior to Abraham. In fact, you ask any high priest, you say, you know, do you have the right to, to, receive, to tell Abraham what to do? Right? And they would say, no, no, no. He is, he is the patriarch. But Melchizedek? Greater. And so Jesus, being in the order of Melchizedek, serving in such a way, he is superior to Abraham. More than that, he goes on to say that the law of the Levitical priesthood can bring anyone to, uh, can't bring anyone to perfection. There is a law that the Levitical priests, uh, they serve. And it says if, if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved perfection that God intended, uh, could have uh, achieve the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a different priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of Levi and Aaron? So the priesthood never was able to bring somebody, a sinner, and make them righteous. It couldn't happen. And the Jews knew this because they kept having to bring the sacrifices over and over and over again. And so the priesthood, though doing its job perfectly, was limited it couldn't bring somebody to perfection. But we see this, is that God then, he saw this, and he established a better priesthood. And so, so if the priesthood and what the law was based could have achieved perfection that God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood? You understand that Jesus was not some new idea. Like when he came, it wasn't like the Jews should have been expecting that there was going to be a new covenant. All the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the first covenant, God is saying, this is to set you up. There's a new covenant coming. And that was God's plan all along. He says, 
There's a priesthood there with a priest in the order of Melchizedek. God had planned to bring a better priest because there was a better work that needed to be done. And where the law couldn't bring perfection, somebody else could. And so we would say, who is superior to Levi? The Levitical priesthood could never bring perfection. And so God knew that, so he brought one later who could. One is Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. Who is superior to Levi? Jesus is. Because he can do what the Levitical law could never do. And he goes on. So not only is he superior to Levi, it says this, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, not from Levi, as we talked about before. And so this would create a problem. He wouldn't be qualified to serve under the Levitical priesthood. He couldn't even do it if he wanted to. And so people who think that they can go to Jesus and find law, he's the wrong kind of priest for that. He couldn't do it if he wanted to. There's a different kind of priest. It says, yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. This makes a lot of us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because when the Bible talks about another part of the Bible and calls it weak and useless, understand its context. It's not saying the law wasn't perfect. The Bible says the law is perfect. It's perfect to do what it's supposed to do, just like your flashlight. It's perfect when it turns on and it turns on light, right? But your flashlight's never going to fix your car engine in the middle of the night. You're driving down the road. The car breaks. Ah, uh, what happened? I don't know. I take my perfectly working flashlight out. I open my trunk. I flash it onto my engine, and I see it smoking. Will my flashlight ever fix my engine? Never. Neither will I. That's why I'm a mechanic. But the fact that my flashlight can't fix my engine doesn't mean there's something wrong with my flashlight. It means it's doing what it's supposed to do, and the law was never intended to make us right. The law was never made to fix us. It was weak and useless for that purpose. And so something better had to come along. And that's why Jesus is a priest of something different. Something better than law for us. He says, yes, the old requirement of the law of the priest was set aside because of weak and useless. But get this, it says, for the law never made anything perfect. Never. It's not what it was designed to do. The law was a covenant that brings us guilt, fear, and condemnation. That's what it does. In fact, that's what it tells us in Romans. That's what its job was to do. The schoolmaster, to show us that basically we're losers. Right? Like, we have fought a war against God. We cannot be righteous on our own. We have already sinned. We can't unsin. The law can only bring us fearful expectation of what's to come. But Jesus is better. He brings us something much better. Now we have a confidence, it says, and a better hope through which we draw near to God. See, Jesus brings us as a kind of a high priest that doesn't bring us to the law. He brings us back to God, something the law could never do. Jesus mediates a covenant of grace, a covenant that brings us confidence and hope and fellowship with God. And so if I was going to look on a chart and I would say, which is superior, Mosaic law or Jesus? Jesus. And realize that the high priest, subject to Mosaic law, right? Levitical, that's what he did. He served it. But Jesus serves a better law. He serves a better covenant that's able to bring us back. He can actually fix us. He's the mechanic. And if that was enough, he goes on. Say, God gave an oath about Jesus. It says, since this new system was established with a solemn oath, Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. Get this. The high priest never had a guarantee of their ministry. In fact, if the high 
priest ever messed up, right? They would tie bells around the, the bottom of his thing and they would tie a rope onto his ankle because when he went in to see God, if he didn't purify himself right or he did something wrong while he was in there before the Holy of Holies, right, what would happen? He would die. No guarantee that he's going to serve forever. And that's why the high priest served with reverent fear. Because if you knew in your job, if you got something wrong, you would die, you'd take it pretty seriously. And the high priest did. But there was no guarantee. The high priest served at the pleasure of God so long as he was good for doing work. And that was it. And so what God said to Jesus, when he brought in Jesus as the high priest, he gave an oath. It said, for God said to him, the Lord has taken an oath and will, and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. In fact, I think I even highlighted that because it's so darned powerful. <laughs> yes, you are a priest forever because of this oath. Jesus is the one who guarantees a better covenant with God, guarantees it. High priest couldn't guarantee it. You were chummy with the high priest, right? Say you're best friends with the high priest. They say, high priest. Go in the, I've been bad. Go talk to God for me in the Holy of Holies because that's where, that's where he is. He's behind that curtain. You go talk to him for me, please. High priest, okay, I will do it. He's your best friend, right? He goes into the Holy of Holies. He comes out, all that kind of stuff. Guess what's going to happen? Eventually, the high priest is going to die. And you've got to find another high priest, another buddy who's going to go and talk to God on your behalf. Well, what if the high priest didn't like you? And there's no guarantees in this. What if the high priest messed up? What if the high priest went in to go make atonement for your sins and did it wrong and ended up dying. Where's the guarantee? But Jesus has a guarantee. His ministry lasts forever. He, he's going to do what he's going to do because God has given his oath that it's going to work. So when God testifies, this high priest is going to make atonement for you and it's going to work, I guarantee it, we can trust that kind of guarantee. It's something that no high priest was ever able to offer. And so we say, is it confirmed by God? Yeah, the high priest... Uh, he was not confirmed by God. He didn't have an oath that guaranteed his ministry. But Jesus, Jesus has a ministry that is guaranteed by God. In Scripture, it's going to work. He goes on. Uh, I think right here at this point, as if I was, as I was reading Hebrews, it's like, I get the point. Jesus is superior. But you look, we're only halfway through. Like, Jesus is so vastly superior. I don't know why we would ever turn back the law. It says this, he says, there are many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. The high priests get old and they die. And that's the problem with high priests is they're human. And a high priest that dies, once they die, they can't intercede on my behalf. And that's why they have to be replaced. And some high priests in, in the history of Israel were really good. They were godly men that did awesome jobs. And you know, some of them we read about, even in the Bible, were not. They were selfish and they abused their power. And fortunately, they had a term limit too. But the problem was is we didn't know which was going to come next and you didn't have any say over which one was going to serve over you. And you couldn't, you couldn't just get on, you couldn't get on board with one of them and say, well, I'm going to be, this guy's going to intercede for me forever because his office would end. And once he died, you'd have to have a new high priest. Limited. But Jesus is not that way. Jesus, it says, uh, he lasts forever. There are many high priests in the Old Testament, it says, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. 
Therefore, he is able to once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Isn't it amazing that for 2,000 years, every one of us who are in Christ, we have a high priest, a real high priest in heaven serving on our behalf, interceding before God for us. He doesn't change his, his disposition. He doesn't change his personality. He's never going to go corrupt and then change back. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our high priest doesn't have a term limit. And I think that's pretty great. We can count on him. And so we look to say, which one has an eternal priesthood? Do the Levitical priests, the high priests have an eternal priesthood? No, we're never planned to. But Jesus, Jesus serves forever. He, he's a little superior in that way. And then it goes on. And see, Jesus not only is last forever, he's got this thing going for him. He's completely sinless. And because of that, he has an office in heaven. Now, some of us have offices in fancy places. Can you imagine, like, where's your office? Well, it's in heaven. Not just in heaven. It says he's the kind of high priest that we need because he is holy and blameless. He is righteous. He has a qualification to get into that building. He is unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. He has the corner office in heaven. That's our high priest. Now get this, the human high priest recognized and could, could identify with people because he was sinful like people, but he could not identify with God because he was sinful. He was not righteous, and God is righteous. But we have a high priest who understands us and understands our weaknesses and gentle us, but he also has, has a voice with God. He has a place of honor in heaven. That's the kind of guy I want talking on my behalf before the Father. I, it's... It's not even comparison. See, the Levitical priests, they were sinners. They needed to make atonement for themselves as well as those they represented. They have no office in heaven. There was never a high Even Aaron, right, the very first one, no, no office in heaven. He had an office here on earth, and it was powerful, and he got to go into the Holy of Holies, and it was pretty great. But he got to meet God once a year with fear and blood. We have a high priest who is in heaven at the place of greatest honor, who's serving constantly before his Father on our behalf. And so we look at, the, we compare these two and we say, which would be better? Well, I think it's becoming pretty clear. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He did this once and for all as he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people of their sins. See, Jesus is the kind of high priest we need because he's there. He's able to do the work Better than the high priests, but also this. He did the work. It's finished. And you think about the work of the high priests. Never finished. Ever. That's why they had generation after generation after generation of high priests. Jesus is able to make atonement for us once and for all. Uh, the Jews would have to go back to Jerusalem time and time again with animals, blood, and all kinds of sacrifices, right? Because they kept sinning, because they're like us. And that high priest was able to make atonement and sacrifices and all those things that they were supposed to do over and over and over again. But it never fixed the problem, right? It was a flashlight, not the mechanic. But more than that, it just had to continue. It just, you had to keep rolling with it over and over and over again. But Jesus, once and for all, because he talks with God on our behalf, because he's perfect and blameless, because he's got a better office, once and for, 
for all time. There is no more sacrifice that needs to be made on our behalf. We're, we're good. That's what it means in Scripture. We've been propitiated. Uh, we're, God's no longer mad. All high priests can do that. No other high priest can. And so we look at which high priest is completely righteous. No high priest on this world is completely righteous. But Jesus, Jesus is completely righteous. What kind of high priest do you want? In fact, uh, we're, we're, I'm reading a couple of books about business right now, and it talks about best practices. And I think it's so funny in this book on best practices. It says uh, you don't want a 300-pound uh, person to teach you how to work out at the gym or to diet, right? You don't want a broke person teaching you how to finance your money, right? You want, if you're going to have somebody who's going to teach you how to work out, you want to be like an Olympic athlete. You want somebody who's going to teach you how to budget your money, do finances. You want somebody who actually themselves knows how to handle wealth and has proven it in their own life. You want, you want to do marketing. You want somebody who's just not like offending people all the time but actually knows how to market. There's best practices. We're going to a high priest to teach us to be righteous. Isn't it good to go to one who has got best practices? He's righteous. Amazing. Completely righteous. Not even just kind of righteous. Like straight out, no sin. And I, here's the main point. Three quarters of the way through his list. We have a high priest who sat down at the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. Jesus is not just in heaven. He is a seat of honor in heaven's highest halls. Can any high priest say that? No. Never has been, never will. Because that wasn't their job. But Jesus, he's right next to God. He has the Father's ear. And so serves directly in heaven. Which one serves directly? Jesus does. And that's really where it matters. More than that, he continues. He says, there he ministers in heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. See, Jesus serves in heaven's tabernacle, the true and original place of worship. He has a, it's a better church, by far. He serves in the original, doing the things that God intended, right? But we see that the high priest, a little different. The high priest, he says, there they serve a system of worship that is only a copy a shadow of the real one in heaven. So we have a high priest that serves in the original temple in heaven where God is. And we have one that serves in a copy right then at their time was in Jerusalem. Which is superior? Well, I would say serves at the superior temple would be Jesus. <laughs> he serves in heaven at the real tabernacle, the real one. The one that Moses got all those words like to, uh, make it like this and it was so specific so it would be a replica and it was a wonderful replica but it was a replica more than that I just think it's amazing just one after another he says now Jesus our high priest has been given a ministry thus far superior to the old priesthood for he has he's the one who mediates for us a better covenant with God based upon better promises do you get that his ministry is far Superior. Not just like, not like you have the high priest and you have Jesus and you're looking between the two and saying, well, I like this one. It's got some things and like Jesus is good too. And I want to, no, just like Jesus' ministry is so far superior. It's like given the option of, of having like a filet mignon or leftover pizza from three weeks ago, what are you going to choose? Far superior. And there's a reason for it being far superior. It's that he gives us better covenant, better promises. 
And think about this covenant. The better covenant is this. Jesus gives us, he's a priest of Melchizedek, not a priest of, of Levi. Levi had a, priest of, had, a, had a covenant that he based, was based upon law. Jesus, he mediates a covenant based upon grace. Well, that's something that we need. Better promises. Jesus promises us forgiveness over guilt. Redemption over bondage. Reconciliation over wrath. Repentance over regulation. Peace over fear. Eternal salvation over temporary atonement. Jesus' ministry and his promises are so much better. Like in every way. Every way. And so which one has a superior ministry? Jesus. Far superior. And lastly, he points to this. He says, God has, been, has made a new way for us to relate to him and Jesus. He says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. So Jesus made a new way for us to relate to him. The old covenant, God said, relate to me in this way. We said, okay, we're going to do it. And then we broke that covenant. And then what happened? We needed redemption over and over and over and over and over again. And the, and the covenant of law was something which is bad for us because we're already lawbreakers. But Jesus gives us a new covenant, a covenant of grace, a covenant of, covenant of forgiveness, a covenant that can change us from the inside out. Not one that condemns us because we're unrighteous, but one that builds righteousness in us so it changes us from the inside out to make us righteous. The old covenant that the old priest had was, was made obsolete, it says. When God speaks of a new covenant, it says, it means that he has made the first one obsolete, is now out of date, so it'll soon disappear. And then remember, this was written back when, right before AD 70, right? This is around 68 AD when this, this letter was written right in the middle of the persecution of the Jews under, under Nero. And under that time, they could sell, they could go back to the temple. It was still possible. There was still a high priest still serving, still sacrifices still being made in Jerusalem at the temple. And he, and he prophesies right here. He says, this new covenant, it made the old one obsolete. It's not as though the old covenant was not perfect. It just doesn't need it anymore. We've been shown that we need God. I think all of us here recognize we're sinners. But there's a new covenant. And he says to them, these Jews that were wondering, do I go back to the old covenant? Do I just go back to Jerusalem? Can I just go back to the high priest and trust him to make atonement for me? And he promises this. He says that old covenant is soon going to disappear. And then less than two years later, the temple was destroyed. We don't need it. It's okay. When you look at the scorecard, when you really look at it and say, which one shall I serve? If I was a Jew and I was wondering, do I go back to the law? And, and do I go back to religion? Because there's still, I mean, God did authorize, did authorize it. The, the temple worship, everything was done, just as God said. And they would look at the two and they would say, well, I could go with the Messiah or I can go with the high priest. Which am I going to choose? And you look at the scorecard, which would you choose? It, it seems to us like a no-brainer, but really in our own life, it's not so much, is it? So the Jews actually had a God-authorized religion that they went to. I mean, there was a, it was a legitimate question for them to ask. 
And we see even for that, it, Jesus is superior in every single way. But you know what, you and me, we have religion, don't we? We have things that we try to do to, to, to connect with God, to appease God, to, to, to make ourselves right with him, our own version of religion. When I do bad things, I'm going to do really good things so God really likes me. Or I'm going to go back to religion. I'm going to go back to church because, you know, it's God authorized. I'm going to go back to church. And by doing these good things at church, then I'll be right with God and I'll feel better. And then once I feel better and I, my, my righteousness tank is topped off, then I, I'll, I'll leave for a little while until I sin enough again. Then I'll come back. Or I'll pray a whole lot right now because, this, you know, I recognize that I've been bad and I need to pray a whole lot right now. And then that's what I'm going to trust. No, we don't trust religion. We trust Jesus. We don't read spiritual books that teach us how to, how to empty ourselves. We don't want to dip ourselves in rivers and let the, the sin be drowned, only to accumulate more. We have a high priest that served once and for all, who made us right with God, who serves with God right now. He is right next to God, talking to God the Father, saying on, on, on our behalf, have mercy on them. It's hard living in that world. And the Holy Spirit's working in them. You see? So give them mercy. Be patient. And he also talks to us and says, be righteous. On God's behalf, he calls to us and says, you can do better than this. You were made for more than this. And I'm going to help you. Don't turn back to religion. Turn to Jesus. Now, he's the one. He's superior in every way. Jesus, in the answer to our problems, he is the perfect high priest forever. And so as I bring this message to a close and a band comes up, I want you to pull out your connection card again because what do you do? What do you do with a high priest like this? How do you respond to a high priest like this? Well, turn on the back of your connection card. There are some ideas that I have. First thing maybe to do this week is to memorize the Hebrews 7.28. Yeah, it's a long passage, but we got a good start on it today. But here's the thing. We all have a high priest that we're, gonna, we're tempted to turn to. Sometimes it's ourself, right? We think that we're going to make ourselves right with God. Jesus is far superior. Every high priest was appointed but has a human weakness, right? But Jesus, there's no weakness in him. When the temptation comes in our life to try to find righteousness outside of Jesus... Let this verse be that wonderful reminder. Don't do that. You don't need to. Or when the devil brings guilt into our lives or our own hearts condemn us and tell us, you're not good enough. God doesn't like you because you're so bad and all those things. that God tried. Remember, we have a perfect high priest in heaven who's already made atonement for us. And he's right there with God right now interceding on your behalf. Maybe you need to memorize that passage and carry it around with you. Put it into your heart so it's there. And you can walk with confidence. It says we can go into the very throne room of God boldly. Can you imagine any high priest have the audacity to say that? But you have the ability to go to God boldly because he loves you. You have a high priest that's made you right. Maybe that's what you need to do this week. Say, I'm going to memorize that verse. And as you memorize it, meditate on it. Just think about what it says. What does that mean for you to have a high priest like that? Now, maybe this week you want to read what I talked about today, and then I went through it pretty quickly. I will grant you that because it was a long message. But, but if you're going to read Hebrews 4 through 8, read it in context. Read how amazing Jesus is. <laughs> read it for yourself. 
If you've got one of those really cool study Bibles, it will also give you references back to the Old Testament where, where the author of Hebrews talks about you. will see that Jesus was not some new idea. God planned for Jesus to come all along. He planned for him to come and fix us. If you need some encouragement from the Word of God that God loves you, He's making a, a way for you, read that passage. Read it this week. Think about it. It's amazing. Or maybe this week you're going to confess your sins, your weakness, and your fears to God. And a lot of times we feel like we've got to put up a good face before God, right? I can't talk to him in the midst of when I've sinned. That's exactly when you need a high priest, by the way, is when you find yourself in the midst of sin. That's when you need somebody to, to, to mediate on your behalf and to help pull you out of that. And maybe this week you say, you know what, I do have a high priest. He loves me. He understands my own weaknesses. He cares for me. and He talks to God. Confess your sins to him. Whatever it is that you're holding on to, whatever is so difficult, maybe you give it to God and you take it right back and you give it to God and you take it back. Confess it. Ask him to help you repent. Ask him to help you to just let those sins go because he's a high priest that does that kind of stuff for us. Maybe this week is what you're going to say. I'm going to, do, I'm going to go visit that high priest daily and have him talk to God on my behalf. How about this? Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. See, Jesus didn't come so that way we could be good people. He came so that we could be made new. He came to save us from ourselves, from our sin and from our brokenness and our despair and our separation from God. He can do it. He's the only one who's ever had that kind of office who can, and he's, he's never going to stop being our Savior. But maybe he needs to be your Savior. If you're tired of running on that hamster wheel of religion, trying to make repentance and atonement for your sins and then only to sin again and to get back on that, Jesus says, I came to give you peace. Maybe you need to accept him as your own personal Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I want you to let me know about this. Or maybe if you're questioning, maybe I need to make this decision. Let me know. Obviously, put your information on here so I can contact you this week. We'll talk to you. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to have him be your high priest? It is wonderful. It is, it is a covenant of grace. Maybe that's a commitment you need to make today. Or maybe there's something else I haven't thought of. Please write that down or a prayer request or some other or decision you have to make. Know that we're going to pray for you this week. It's what we love to do. Um, and God answers these prayers. God's been doing amazing things. Uh, so if you've got a prayer request, write it down. And here in just a minute, we're going, to, we're going to take our offering. And as we take our tithes and offerings, I want you to put this connection card into that offering basket. Make that a, a, uh, another offering of yourself to God. Let's uh, pray for the offering now. Uh, please join me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him not just to be a sacrifice for our sins, but, Father, that you have, an, you have called him and appointed him and anointed him as our perfect high priest forever. Thank you that he understands our weakness, that he walked in, in human skin for 30 years. He was tempted with all the same things we were, but he didn't sin. Thank you that he can serve you in heaven. On our behalf, thank you for Jesus. Father, for us, help us to turn to him. Let us go to our high priest. Father, let us be this week, I pray your Holy Spirit would help us to unlock our hearts and to bring our sins and our weaknesses and our fears to him. I thank you that you hear him. And Father, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that hasn't ever come to Jesus as their Lord, their Savior, that you would help them to make that step of faith. Uh, they would not just be converted, but, Father, that you will change them from the inside out, make them a true disciple. 
one who can live with confidence and peace all the days of their life because we have a priest that, that never runs out of office. And Father, I pray too for these tithes and these offerings that we bring. We don't bring them begrudgingly, Father. We bring them because we know that you are in control of our lives and that you take care of us. Even better than you take care of all of nature, you take care of us, your children. So Father, take these tithes, these offerings, these gifts, Father, as a symbol of, of our dependence upon you. I pray that you would bless them and multiply them and use them to reach our great community with the incredible news of who Jesus is. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.